Just think about the statistic. 87% of people who get licensed in real estate will get out of the business in five years or less. So one out of 10 are standing on their own two feet after five years, which is insane. What is the main driver of that? Low barrier of entry, which I mentioned before, but just bad advice or, or no guidance. And I didn't get a ton of guidance when I started, but I asked a lot of questions. So I would take a good agent out to lunch. I had friends and family in real estate who I wasn't working with. And I was like, let me take you out for a beer. I'd be like, how hard is this? Like, am I doing the right things? So I almost got the, the um, confidence that I needed from them early on to know that, hey, blogging was a good thing. Hey, in-person networking is a good thing. Hey, hanging flyers in my condo development with tear-off tabs with my number on it that said, call me if you need anything. I don't even care what it is. You want someone to you know, fix your toilet? Call me. I'll find the plumber and I'll give you that referral. Like I just wanted to be an authority and be a resource. And I, I didn't want to do it by picking up the phone, calling 100 people I didn't know and landing four or five of them and then only walking away with half of that. I looked at it as like my value is in my relationships and it's these relationships and the credibility and the strength of these relationships that'll just allow my business to blossom. Like the referral business started for me on day one because that's the way I looked at it where a lot of people get in this, especially with big box shops and they're like, hey, hit the phone, start knocking on doors. It's like, yo, you can get shot today if you knock on someone's door or you know what? No one wants to take your call. Like, I don't want to hear from someone that says, hey, are you in the market to buy or sell real estate? No. Why are you calling me? Like, I'll call you if I need something or the cold spam text messages we get. It's just not the way I look at it. Not to say there's not value in that. Some people do that, that end of the business and do it very well. But that's why there's one in 10, because there's only a small section of people that can actually do that day in, day out, not get burnt out and absolutely love it. And I feel like where real estate is going now, what I try and teach is this is a relationship game. It's not, it's not a sales game. Like the sales and the money will come, but build the relationship first. Take care of the relationship and the rest will follow. So the question is this, how do most agents succeed in today's competitive real estate market when all the successful agents are keeping the secrets to themselves? So that's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. I interview agents from all over the world. I ask them their tactics, and they share all of their secrets with me so we can give them to the world. I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, Real Estate Rockstars. I'm your host, Aaron Amuchastegui. Today, I get to interview Tim Garrity with Copper Hill Real Estate up from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We've already been talking a little bit about Philly and how much I love the history and all the times I've gotten to go visit there. And Tim is lucky enough to have built his whole life up there. Tim, how's it going, man? It's going great, Aaron. Thanks for having me on today. Greatly appreciate it. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. I think we're going to have a really fun conversation today. You know, the we've got We've got a wide range of listeners right now from beginners to people that are starting their brokerage or starting their team or trying to figure out which teams to join. But it's also a really interesting time in real estate because volume is down uh, so much out there. We keep seeing these reports of thousands and thousands of agents deciding they don't want to be agents anymore. So I think the perspective of what you've been doing to grow is going to be really, really good for all the people listening today. So um, when did you get into real estate? 
So my backstory is uh, out of college, I actually started out in the mortgage industry. So I like to say I have about 20 plus years of uh, real estate industry experience. I uh, was a street loan officer for a few years, did well with that. Got into management on the mortgage side with um, one of the largest home builders in the U.S., which is Pulte Homes. Mm-hmm. Um, did that for about another six years. And you know, I lost my job uh, after everything happened in 2008 and 2009. So it was probably toward the end of 2009. And I was on unemployment, uh, newly married, had bills, uh, was finishing my uh, MBA in management. So bills were piling up. And um, I had the crazy idea of telling my wife, hey, I I really want to get into real estate, you know, residential sales, and I want to do it from the ground up. I want to understand how this industry works. Like, why is the barrier of entry so low? And, you know, why do a lot of people fail? So, you know, I had a lot of questions getting into it. And I thought I thought the only way I could really learn everything about it was really to start from the bottom. And um, I've been doing that now about 13 and a half years. So was it 2009, 2010 when you decided to jump in as an agent? Yeah. So um, it was right at the end of 2009. The company I worked for wanted me to relocate and take a promotion, which is super flattering and humbling. Uh, But I'm a Philly boy and I didn't want to leave. And we had a life here. We have family. We have friends. We love the city. So we said thanks, but no thanks. And I got laid off. So that's it was right at the end of 2009 is when I just said, hey, I'm just going to go take these classes. It was like three weekends in a row, Saturday and Sunday all day from like 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And they're like, oh, you're done after three weeks. And then you can take your test. And I'm like, why? Why is the barrier of entry so low? I don't I don't get it. And then after I finished my classes, I was like, now I get it. They're not teaching you much aside from theory. And they want you to just go out and figure it out. So that's what I did. Yeah. I love that the barrier entry is so low. We love to brag about that for people. You know, there's people listening today that are, that are doing their side jobs or they're, you know, driving for Uber or DoorDash or things like that. And they're thinking about jumping into real estate. I love getting those messages of people that said, I listened to your podcast and that was the day I decided to jump in because the barrier is so low, but the ceiling is so high. Frankly, yeah. there's no ceiling. There's no ceiling uh, for how much money you can make, for how much you can earn. I mean, you have to earn it. Earn is the key. You know, in 2021, we had a lot of agents out there that weren't necessarily earning. They weren't necessarily working really, really hard. Everybody looked brilliant uh, if they were in real estate back then. And our stories are going to overlap quite a bit, actually, because I was was building new homes uh, in California in 2005. I was working for uh, running operations for a medium-sized home builder. But when I graduated in 05, I got recruited by, you know, Pulte Nationwide and Ryan Homes and Centex. Back then there were a lot of them. And getting to work in home building from like 05 to 07, I got to learn so much about real estate because at that time those were finely t- tuned machines. They were so they great were. at figuring out the market, at marketing properties. At, it was the first time I established that properties would actually sell for what the market said, regardless of what they cost. So whether they spent $300,000 to build a home <laughs> or $500,000 to build a home, if it comped at 400, that was the price. That was the yeah. price. And, and that was shocking coming from like, I came from like uh, custom home building where the price was just cost plus 10 or cost plus 20. And so you got to learn from some really, really cool places. And then in 07, 08, that's when we laid off like 75 out of 80 employees. We had to start shutting stuff down. And then I got into... Uh, foreclosure buying and investing and then starting up my own brokerage and stuff uh, back then. 09 and 2010, 
was a really interesting time to start your company, to jump in. I mean, the market was happening, but it seemed like the deals at the time were available to a very select few, right? Yes. At least, I mean, the listings in particular were the people that were like buying and creating, you know, their own listings, their own product, because so many people were upside down. Your first couple of years, what did you do to get deals? Honestly, um, when I got started, so I started with small independent brokerages. Uh, I didn't go with the Keller Williamses or the Cowell Bankers or Compasses. Not that there's anything wrong with them, but it just wasn't the path I wanted. It just reminded me too much of corporate America. And I'm like, I don't want to just go fall in line and have people tell me how to do this. I really wanted to learn it. So when I was at a small independent brokerage, I really went to my broker who was the man and I said, hey, Look, I want to get out there in front of people. I'm brand new, even though I have experience. I'm from Philadelphia. You know, I'm educated. I'm about to finish my master's. So I got, I have a ton of credibility. But why would someone work with me versus the person who's doing 20 million in volume? Like, why would they do that? And he said, How comfortable are you with writing? And I said, You know, I was a marketing major, so I, I could just figure it out. I can sell. So he said, Start blogging. And that was some of the best advice I got because. One, it didn't cost any money. Uh, there were websites like Active Rain and Trulia where you could have a profile for free and have a blog page for free. Uh, and I could say whatever I wanted. I mean, I could talk about whatever topics I wanted. Most of what I focused on was like the resurgence of Philadelphia neighborhoods through development. So like new construction homes or multifamily buildings or new skyscrapers downtown. And uh, once I started blogging, I was doing it like three or four times a week. Um, because I had all this time. It was it was 2010 and there was like no business to be had. And then once I started doing it, I had like 20, 30 posts and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start sending out a monthly newsletter to my network, 500 people at the time. And what I would do is I would design it based on my blog posts. So I'd be like, hey, here's some news. Oh, a new building going up downtown or hey, here's some lifestyle. Uh, there's a new restaurant opening up in this neighborhood where people are like, what's going on there? That, that's an up and coming spot. So I was really creating a lot of value, Aaron, through blogging and letting people know I knew my stuff and I was ready to help them any which way I could. You, that's really, really fascinating. I remember having a blog. It was something, you know, dot blogspot.com. Yeah, blogspot. Yep. That was the first blogspot. website I ever built for free. First, yeah. First free website out there. And at the time when we started doing it, we were doing, you know, kind of marketing news. Uh, we did a lot of like analysis of like, you know, is the housing crash over, you know, have prices bottomed out, you know, what was coming. And it was a really cool way for people that I guess like anything, right, with all the new social media things and any outlet that's out there, whenever people are first and consistent, you don't necessarily have to be first either. But if you can be consistent with putting out product and be you know confident that it's going to grow over time you know, having your way to build authority. Now people, it's a little bit tougher to have, you know, blogs, you know, get found and hit right now, but those are out there. Uh, but other people can, you know, write articles for Inman or things like that as like guest articles, but anything that you can do to start building credibility. So you started building credibility, you know, 2010, 2011, and, you know, kind of showed that you knew your stuff. And then were you mostly a buyer's agent at the time? Actually, my first year in real estate, I love to tell the story. I made $15,000, uh, yeah. was, was working 60 hours a week, was finishing my MBA at night, you know, blogging, just hustling, driving neighborhoods, anything I could to learn about the industry and create content, evergreen content that people could find. Um, so I did about 20 deals my first year, 19 rentals and one sale with one buyer. And that was one of the toughest deals I ever did, which most people will tell you. 
uh, in real estate, one of their first like one to five deals was like the hardest one they ever had because they were so emotionally invested in it. And it felt like you had finally made it. Hey, I'm going to make five, 10, $15,000. Um, all this work is starting to pan out, get through from start to finish. And then you actually get to see someone go buy a home, like go to closing, sign a lot of paperwork, give them the keys to their home, give them a closing gift. And then like, just look at you with these eyes and just say, thank you so much for helping me get to where I got, you know, no matter who it is, first time home buyer, or it could be, you know, a 10th move up home buyer. It doesn't matter. And I loved that feeling. Um, so honestly, yeah, it was really probably more in year two. I was very buyer heavy, but started getting into listings. And that was super hard because again, I was just competing with these, these big guys, big girls who just own these neighborhoods. They already had 10 or 15 signs up and I had none. Um, but a lot of it I started doing in the neighborhood I was in, in Philadelphia, which was in uh, Maniunk and Roxborough. And, and that particular neighborhood, I was just very heavily involved in the community service, had relationships. I supported local businesses. Um, I lived in a condo community, so I was on the board. So I was just really donating my time to meet as many people as I could, learn about them, finally get to the conversation where they would say to me, what do you do? And I would say, I'm in real estate. And then you know as well as I know, Aaron, when you tell someone you're in real estate, they're like, oh, oh, that's cool. What's yeah. the market like? How much is my house worth? Is it going up or down? I mean, you just get berated with questions when you tell people this. And um, every time I would do it, I'd have a good conversation. I would say, hey, if you're anyone you know ever needs any help in and around the greater Philadelphia area, I'm your guy and I'll hustle like no one else. And eventually I just, you know, I'd meet someone, I'd add them to my newsletter, I'd get another uh, person reading my blog. And then the leads just started coming in. It was all organic, it was all through relationships. And then once I'd help out five or 10 people, they go tell five or 10 people each what a great agent I was. And it just started snowballing from there. Yeah, I love a couple of things about what you just shared. You know, one, I love that you started doing leases and doing rentals because not very many real estate agents know that there's a way to make some commissions there, especially when you're first getting started, because you have to, it's, it's tougher to create, especially when you're younger, who your base is going to be. Like most of people's circle, you know, younger agents just, just out of college around that college age, you know, anywhere from like 20 to 27, their sphere of influence aren't necessarily buyers, but a lot of them are renters, you know, and letting people know like, oh, I'm looking for a rental right now. That's a common, you know, conversation or, or you're hanging out at somebody's house and they're like, oh, we think we're going to move next month, but we don't know which place we're going to go to yet. Yeah. And just knowing like, oh, let me help you with that lease. You know, I can, I can help you find something. I can get a commission. It's small, but it's, but it's a cool way that you can, you know, kind of make a client because yep. I'm guessing that some of those leases turned into buyers, you know, in the future. So I love that that's kind of part of your story. And I think that that's probably not taught enough to newer agents that maybe your sphere isn't a buyer yet. There are ways and it doesn't pay the same, but you get to practice. You get to get a lot of reps in of representing someone, asking them the questions, what are you looking for? You know, trying to keep their best interest in mind as you go through that process. So I really loved, you know, that that was a part of it. I also love that you went out there and said, hey, I'm just going to be really, really involved. I'm gonna meet a lot of people. I'm gonna volunteer. I'm gonna get myself out there where I'm just being really, really social and meeting people because the longer you hang out with somebody, you know, it is inevitable that they're gonna say, what do you do? What yep. do you do for a living? Every single conversation that lasts more than 15 minutes, that happens, right? Yes. So you're not leading with, hey, I'm an agent. Hey, I'm an agent. You're leading with, you know, who are you? What do you do? 
or, or you're really leading with like, who are you? Let's, let's do this thing together. You know, what makes you tick? And then when it goes into that conversation, then it's really, really natural. And then you get that chance to be, you know, and for other people that are listening, you know, like Tim, he had been educating himself on the market. He knew what was going on. He knew what prices were happening. So when somebody would say, oh, you're an agent, what's going on with my house? Or is it the most common? Is it a good time to buy a house or not? I get yes. that all the yep. time. Is right now a good time to buy? What's going to be happening with prices? Well, if you're educated, you get that authority. And then Tim's going to be that first call. So that fir very first listing that you got, uh, or the very first buyer that you got, how did you get that lead? Uh, I believe it was through my blog and someone who had just reached out through Trulia. So Trulia used to be its own company before Zillow gobbled them up. And then they got rid of all the agent, uh, the free agent stuff. That was Trulia's model, not Zillow's. Zillow is there to charge us. Um, yep. But basically, uh, they had reached out and said, um, hey, we're from uh, the Virginia area. And it was their daughter was going to school or like just finishing school in Philadelphia. And we want to buy a condo like in center city, which is, as you know, is the core of Philadelphia. It's, it's fairly expensive. It's a, it's a live work play downtown. One of the better downtowns in the U S and, um, you know, decent price range. Uh, it was probably like two, 300,000 back then. So I did a lot of it through out of town buyers because the parents were buying it from the daughter so much so that I really didn't know what I was doing. I was like, going to the inspection be like oh no worries like i'll do it for you you don't even have to come up and i'm like what what the, why the hell did i do that and you know going through all that the final walkthrough you know long story short um the dad ended up being an asshole and um he started complaining at the very last minute and i really just kind of looked him in the eye and said look you know how hard i worked on this transaction you know that i did a lot of heavy lifting for you because you were out of state and i never made you come up here to deal with anything. So if you really truly feel that I did not do a good job for you, then be honest with me. And, and he shut right up. So that was, that was a really good learning lesson. I was like, I'm doing too much. Uh, I'm trying to um, make this something that it shouldn't be. And I was trying to take away the experience from them. They're supposed to go to their inspections. They're supposed to go to the final walkthrough. Like they're supposed to be a little hands-on so they can make decisions, not me report back to them and say, Hey, you know, this is, we should do this. We should do that. So I just got a lot of experience through that. And to your point earlier about meeting people, I think the one thing I really got from my corporate America experience that I brought into real estate was to really just be a good listener. And you know, it wasn't about selling. It wasn't about puffing out my chest when I first started. Like you said, I just wanted to learn about people. Like, why are you buying real estate? Why are you renting real estate? Why are you selling real estate? Like, what are your reasons for doing that? So that I could start to learn more about how often do people do this? Like, why do they make those decisions? You know, and then I could almost help guide them be like, Hey, if you're, if you're leaving for this, like maybe you should consider this. And they're like, Oh, that's great. So I just became a really good listener. I feel like that's what kind of made me stand out. Yeah. So the, so what do you, when you think back to like, so you've been in real estate a long time, right? You've been in real estate 20 years, yep. you've done lots of different things. What's something that you wish you would have known when you first got started? or in that first year or two, or maybe before you decide to become an agent? What's something we're looking back, you're like, man, I wish I would have known that at the beginning. Um, I would say a few things were like how long it would actually take to do consistent sales the way I was doing it. Because I feel like there's a lot of methods out there in real estate today that cause the high rate of failure that it has. So just think about the statistic. 87% of people who get licensed in real estate 
will get out of the business in five years or less. So one out of 10 are standing on their own two feet after five years, which is insane. What is the main driver of that? Low barrier of entry, which I mentioned before, but just bad advice or, or no guidance. And I didn't get a ton of guidance when I started, but I asked a lot of questions. So I would take a good agent out to lunch. I had friends and family in real estate who I wasn't working with. And I would be like, let me take you out for a beer. I'd be like, how hard is this? Like, am I doing the right things? So I almost got the, the um, confidence that I needed from them early on to know that, hey, blogging was a good thing. Hey, in-person networking is a good thing. Hey, hanging flyers in my condo development with tear-off tabs with my number on it that said, call me if you need anything. I don't even care what it is. You want someone to you know, fix your toilet? Call me. I'll find the plumber and I'll give you that referral. Like I just wanted to be an authority and be a resource. And I, I didn't want to do it by picking up the phone, calling 100 people I didn't know and landing four or five of them and then only walking away with half of that. I looked at it as like my value is in my relationships and it's these relationships and the credibility and the strength of these relationships that'll just allow my business to blossom. Like the referral business started for me on day one because that's the way I looked at it. Where a lot of people get in this, especially with big box shops, and they're like, hey, hit the phone, start knocking on doors. It's like, yo, you can get shot today if you knock on someone's door. Or you know what? No one wants to take your call. Like, I don't want to hear from someone that says, hey, are you in the market to buy or sell real estate? No. Why are you calling me? Like, I'll call you if I need something. Or the cold spam text messages we get. It's just not the way I look at it. Not to say there's not value in that. Some people do that, that end of the business and do it very well. But that's why there's one in 10. Because there's only a small section of people that can actually do that day in, day out, not get burnt out and absolutely love it. And I feel like where real estate is going now, what I try and teach is this is a relationship game. It's not, it's not a sales game. Like the sales and the money will come, but build the relationship first. Take care of the relationship and the rest will follow. Hey listeners, Aaron here. I just want to tell you about something I'm super, super excited about. You know, a couple months ago, I had a bunch of people in my office in Austin and I taught what I called my foreclosure masterclass. It was to teach investors how to make money with distressed real estate investing through foreclosures and other sorts of leads that are out there of people that are desperate to sell or need to sell and maybe they don't even know it yet and that process. Well, we had so much fun when people, everyone came to the office. So many people said they wanted to do it again. I recorded the class. It's now live and available for purchase. So if you're interested in learning about becoming an investor and learning about becoming an investor agent, being able to educate yourself uh, some more around foreclosures, about distressed real estate and how to get those, go to the foreclosuremasterclass.com, the foreclosuremasterclass.com. All right, back to the podcast. Yeah. I, I like that idea too, about like the flyer with the phone number tabs of just going like, how can I help you? How, like, how can I help you with anything or just any way to get, there's so many, there's a lot of paid methods out there to get people, but the, but there's also a lot of free stuff and you, but you wanted to focus on incoming. You didn't want to do outbound. You're like, I'm not going to do outbound calls, outbound sales. I'm going to do like outbound effort. I'm going to do outbound social. I'm going to do outbound, yeah. like letting people know I'm here. But, but it sounds like you weren't cold calling. You were waiting nope. for someone to call you. And then when someone called you, you enhanced that relationship. Do you use a, a CRM right now to keep track of all your people? I do. Yeah. So, you know, Copper Hill has been around uh, for about eight and a half years. So the first, first five I was in real estate, um, I worked for two independent brokerages. But about five, six years ago, we invested in HubSpot. 
Mm-hmm. Um, HubSpot's a really good business CRM. What we loved about it is it was customizable uh, and it was simple, very simple interface, um, lots of capabilities for marketing, for keeping track of your clients. It's a task-based system. Um, you know, it's a pipeline-based system. So it just allows you to have kind of like an assembly line for your book of business as well as, you know, we use it for our full-service transaction team. A lot of these CRMs that I was like trying to look into prior to HubSpot were all real estate based, like top producer and things like that. I'm like, the one downfall of the real estate industry is like the technology is awful. Like we don't have good tech. And if these systems are only real estate based, chances are the technology is not where it should be based on other industries. It really wasn't until like the last five years or so, you know, as well as I know, Aaron, that a lot of VC money started pouring into real estate and into real estate tech. And it's still not great. So I look at it as, you know, give me a system that it allows me to build a book of business, stay on track, follow through after closing, keep tabs on every single person. And then it just has marketing capabilities too. like our our newsletter is done through that. Our event invitations are done through that. You know, our uh, happy home anniversary email every year is done through that. And you can track all that like you would in MailChimp or anywhere else. And MailChimp's fantastic. It's just, it's another system. So I'm trying to stick with one that does it all and allows for um, us to kind of do it the way we want. Yeah. We use HubSpot in our, with our software company, with our foreclosure data company and our, and our Propoc system for people can, or people essentially find real estate deals through there. And HubSpot is super powerful. It's super expensive once you get a giant list. Oh, yeah. And like once you're in, you're in. And you have to invest the time to customize it, but it is the most customizable where when somebody signs up with something, it's like they can get a text message today that's personalized. They get an email tomorrow. You know, they get a bunch of the follow-up stuff. So, so very cool to see that you invested in that. How big is your business now? So eight and a half years ago, we started out. It was myself, my brother, Ryan Garrity, and my friend, Andrew Janos. Bootstrapped it with our own money. We literally took 10000 each out of our bank accounts, threw it in a business account and said, this will keep us afloat for a year. So let's go out and eat what we kill. Like, let's be 100% and just start building it one, one buyer, one seller, one tenant, one landlord at a time and get the brand out there. Get some online reviews, like build a one-page website. Um, so the three of us started, I think in year one, we did, you know, right around 10 million in volume. Now we're a team of almost 40 uh, and we did just under 100 million last year. Yeah. So as you transitioned... From like being an agent and being in production to being a an entrepreneur, kind of broker, owner, team leader. What was that transition like? Did you go from sole to then doing a team to then doing a brokerage? And and what are some of the steps that worked really well with that or, or were challenging? I would say for me, the first question I asked myself is, what do I want to do? Do I want to be a team? at a big brokerage, because I could go do that easily, where they do a lot of the heavy lifting and I'm just there and I have a business within a business. Uh, Or do I want to start a brokerage? And it's probably the same philosophy I had with uh, HubSpot. It's like, I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it the way that I think the industry should be going. And I want to utilize my mortgage experience, my management experience, my MBA, like my hustle these first like five years. I want to take all that and I want to build something from scratch. And, you know, I think I always looked at it as like, look, if you, if you want to get a hamburger, you got two options. You go to McDonald's, you go through the drive through you spend a couple bucks, you're full, it tastes great, you're good. You could do it anywhere you want in the world and it tastes the same. 
Or you can go to Tim's Burger Shop where you can sit down, you can look at a menu, you can get good service. I mean, I get my beef locally, maybe my buns homemade. I mean, I season it perfectly. I use local cheese. You bite into that and you're like, what an experience. And then we treat like absolute gold. And when they leave, they're like, anytime I want to go get a good burger, not eat, I want to go get a good burger, I'm going to Tim's Burger Shop. And I think I just looked at it as like, look, I think we can build this brokerage from scratch because one, even being a brokerage has a very low barrier of entry, just like being a salesperson in real estate. And um, I just, I looked at the expenses and everything else. I was like, we can just do this thing like one brick at a time, which is exactly what we did. And to be honest, I'm just, I'm so blessed and thankful that I did it that way because I know the ins and outs of this industry, like the back of my hand. And it's like now... We're bringing in five to ten million dollar producers regularly from Compass, from Caldwell Banker, you know, from EXP. They're slowly joining our team because they're there and they're like, I don't need all this. Like, I don't need this big box rah rah stuff. Like, I'm already standing on my own two feet. The the leads come from me. I'm building this thing on my terms. So why not partner up with Tim and Copper Hill because they've built it on their terms? And the combination of the two is really what just creates a ton of value for the productive agents. You know, a lot of people as they're early in their brokerage, you know, the first couple of years inside their brokerage, they, they've got different growing pains. Uh, there's two conversations that people are asking me all the time. One, they're saying, what should my splits be with my agents? Because I have agents that are leaving or coming back and renegotiating, or, you know, they've been with, they've been, they've been on this team and this company for a few years. And now one of the other brokerages out there is recruiting them and saying, hey, now that you know what you're doing, leave them and come to us and your new split is 80-20 or 90-10 compared to whatever they had. So one is there's this battle of splits when people are, when agents are, are focusing on that. So there's a challenge that brokers have with that. And I think another challenge that new brokers have in their first few years is that concept of I think like handing off clients and handing off commissions, there's this fear of, well, I could do this deal myself or I can give it to my team. And if I give it to my team, it's a much smaller percentage. And then maybe in the future, you know, they're going directly to that team member instead of me and or, or if they leave my brokerage, they're kind of bringing that client with them. So I think those are two like fear mindset or may, maybe not even fear mindset, but there's, there are two challenges that brokers have. They ask me the question all the time. You know, how do I do my splits because people are trying to steal my agents away and, you know, and how do I justify giving away my own deals to my agents? Um, what have you experienced with that? What do you think about that? Um, let's hit the brokerage one first. So like the competition from, from big brokerages is probably uh, one of the hardest things I have to deal with because they have a lot of stuff, I like to call it. You know, they have a lot of tech and, you know, they have a beautiful office downtown and, you know. We have, uh, we have this annual retreat and, you know, we have an office manager. Like they have all this stuff and I feel like people are attracted to the stuff. But one thing I learned um, getting into this that, you know, good agents will shift their brokerages every like three to five years because they're just going to go leverage themselves to try and get more. So if they're going to leave their current brokerage for the stuff and join another one for the stuff, it's just, it's like hit repeat. It's just going to keep happening. So the way I looked at it is, I don't want to have a lot of stuff and commission split is, is part of stuff. Like you look at commission split, anyone can offer whatever they want. I mean, people do a hundred percent, like people do cap caps. Um, people do all sorts of things, profit sharing and stocks and, and all this stuff. Like anyone can do that. 
what no one can match is, is the value that you offer. And I think our biggest value was that, hey, we were born and raised in Philadelphia, and this is a family business, but we can compete with those big companies because I have the badass CRM. I have HubSpot, and it's customized in a way that's probably better than all of them. You just don't know about it. Um, I can give you the time and attention that you need as a productive agent because we're so small, and I delegate a lot of my busy work out all day. That's one thing I figured out in my first five years. Who can I get to take care of all my administrative operational stuff? Because that is just dragging me down from building this business. And then I'd say probably um, the third thing, and it's really our secret sauce, is we built out a customized transaction process with a transaction team. So whether you're a brand new agent, you're only going to do one or two deals this year, or you're a team and you're going to do $30 million, you use the in-house transaction team to do everything from start to finish. They do all your offers, all your paperwork, all your MLS descriptions. They do everything backwards and forwards. Because I looked at that, that was also one of my downfalls. Like I couldn't go out and try and get new business because I was so bogged down with paperwork or bogged down with communicating with mortgage companies, title companies, escrow checks, scheduling closings, like all this back and forth, back and forth. And I looked at it as like, look, if I can create something that's unique, it doesn't cost the agent any more money and we could take care of it for them, then I can really focus their minds on building their book of business out and I'm going to hold their hand to help them do it. And you can't really get that anywhere else. I mean, even if you do a team at a big box shop, you're on your own, like you're siloed. They look at it as like, look, you're lucky to have a team. You're lucky to be making money off agents at our brokerage because we're allowing you to do that. So there's lots of red tape. And I look at it as like, you know what? There is no red tape here. If it's a win for you and if it's a win for me, we're going to do it. If it's a new idea for you and I think about it and it makes a lot of sense and the risk is low, we're going to do it. So we make smart decisions for our brokerage every day through our agents, like giving us advice. We do an annual survey every year. We ask like 20 questions. What do you think of leadership? What do you think of our office? What do you think of the transaction team? What do you think of our sales meetings? And people are brutally honest. They're like, yo, this is great. And, or no, this sucks. And I think the people who literally, they say this is great, it always comes down to our transaction team. They're like, that is the biggest time saver. And no one is doing what you're doing. So therefore, I, I, I care less about my competition. I care less about agents leaving for the stuff because I know I just have a ton of value. Yeah. The, I think that's, so that, that makes a lot of sense. I like, too, that you're saying the commission splits is just the stuff. And, and it's also that reality. I've heard a lot of agents tell me or a lot of brokers tell me that no matter what, there are some agents that are just going to, they've built their business. Essentially, once they've learned their system, they've acted as like a satellite inside a company. Yeah. So like, it sounds like the people that would be leaving you would be the people that aren't using your stuff, right? That they've kind of, they've learned from you and then they've said, all right, I like what Tim does here, but I'm going to kind of do my own way here. And I could use his CRM, but, but I decide to do this any, this a different way. So if they're not like inside that system, then they're the ones that are going to go, but they're going to go anyway. And some of those high performing agents, their goal is, you know, get to 0% commission or eventually become a broker, eventually become an owner. There are some people that are entrepreneurial, like you or I, that no matter what, we're not going to be able to to hold them down or keep them in. Right. And then, um, and I think part of the challenge too, that people are even having now with commissions is they're like, I'm only doing 10 deals instead of 15 this year, or I'm doing 10 deals instead of 30. And so I need more of my commission. And that's an interesting conversation too, that people are having because it's, it's no one's fault. 
right? Like volume is down and I get that they're like, I'm just making, a, I'm making half the amount of money I made last year. So they start to look at their expenses. And instead of looking at like, you know, internal expenses or like, you know, marketing budgets or whatever else, they're going to go like, oh, commission is, it's like my biggest expense was taxes a lot of different years, right? right. So, the, so, but you have to deal with it. But, but the, but if I could figure out a way to not pay those, right? So I think commissions is probably similar. So we're getting, we're going to see this happening, I think more and more. How many agents did you say you guys have? Uh, we're just under 40. You're just under 40. And where were you at like three or four years into starting your brokerage? I would say it probably took us about three to four years from inception to really get our foundation, which was have administrative help, have a good CRM, you know, have some processes and systems in place, you know, have a handbook, you know, um, we have office policies, you know, what if it's, what if my mom wants to buy a house or like, Hey, like what if I want to start a team? So like we have to have all these policies because if you don't have a stance on it and someone starts complaining, it's just going to get emotional. But if someone says, Hey, I want to do this, be like, go look at that office policy. We've already dealt with that five times. So read that. And if you have any questions, let me know. So I can take a lot of the day-to-day BS away from me, one through my staff and two through the foundation that I've built. Um, But I would say probably, Aaron, after about uh, four years, we started out in a co-working space. So our office was like literally like eight by 12. It was like a hundred square feet and we were paying like $800 a month. But you go to the conference room in the co-working space and city hall is right there. And it was floor to ceiling class. I'm like, I'm paying $800 a month to be in this amazing space. And there's 50 other startup companies in here. I'm going to go meet them. I'm going to go shake their hands. I'm going to get their real estate business. So we started real small. And then um, after about four years, we got like a 2,500 square foot commercial space uh, downtown. Again, we stayed downtown, invested a lot of money in that. And, you know, that's really what pretty much doubled the size of our team in about 18 months. That was yeah. that was our stamp. They were like, wow, these guys, they're not messing around. They want to grow. So the so how do you like entrepreneurship or business management or brokerage ownership compared to, you know, being that, being an agent, like, and doing it yourself, like the, and and it sounds like maybe just from your MBA background, you were destined to see the entrepreneur side instead. But as, as you're, as you're seeing that now, like, I guess, I guess, how, how do you feel about it? You know, as, as that, as that journey has, has changed so much and how closely related is it to, you know, early real estate? I mean, I love being an entrepreneur. I still sell. So I still work with clients. Um, but again, you know, if we did just under 100 million last year, I only contributed 5 million of that. So my sales don't really matter anymore. It's really about the team. And um, I think for me too, just, you know, going down that path of trying to like do it yourself and not rely on anyone else. Like in corporate America, they basically said, look, we're, you know, we're going to tell you to jump and your job is to say how high. Like that's, that's the rule in corporate America. When I got into real estate, I was like, look, I don't have a boss. Uh, everyone is super unprofessional. Like no one's getting back to anyone. Like people are cursing each other out. Like people show up late, like, cause no one else has a boss. So it's like, we're, we're all on our own. But one thing I realized early on about myself being an entrepreneur and being in real estate was I knew I was a good manager of people. And that came from my management experience at Pulte Homes. And it also came from my MBA, which was in management. So the more I got into it, I realized it's like, as much as I'm still selling today, 13 and a half years in, it's not really the focus of what I'm doing. My, my focus is managing a business, managing staff, managing agents, and managing a reputation. 
for our, our brokerage. And I mean, you look online, you, you look at any big brokerage in the city of Philadelphia, you look at their offices, you look at their Google reviews. Okay. You know, not to single them out, Keller Williams, Google reviews, three and a half, four, four out of five stars, which again, I would look at that as low. We're five out of five. Like we do not mess around as an office because we just have the little details covered and we care so much. It's not about the deal. It's about the relationship. And that's how I look at my brokerage, like managing people. It's all relationships. Like my staff could, could all just leave me tomorrow and just say, Hey, we took some more money or like that company was larger or like that commute was shorter or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, I know my relationship is so strong with them. I give them a ton of value and I will go to bat for them any day of the week. And my agents know that too. So whenever they get in trouble, I'm there. Whenever they want something to possibly change in the brokerage and they want to be heard, I'm there. If they're growing and they're like, hey, you know, I was at a 70, uh, 30 split before, but now I double my volume. I want 80. I'm there. I'll have the conversation. So I think for me, just like being a good manager of people is really what allowed this brokerage to do well. Because, you know, look at teams. You know, why do, why do teams form in real estate? It's like salespeople and they get too busy. Like, holy crap, I need to bring someone on. Like, I can't take all these calls. I can't do all these listing appointments. But they still want to sell all day, all night. Like, they might not even want to manage another human being. And they don't realize that until they get into the team model. They're like, home, this isn't about me anymore. This is about them. Like, I need to take care of them. And I feel like that's why a lot of teams, they get into it for the wrong reasons and, and they, they fail because they're just like, no, nah, I just need to go back to selling. And we're in a market right now where a lot of team layers are like, they're not giving out leads right now because they need them. They're like, I'm in sales and I need these leads. They're not for yeah. you. They're for me. And my advantage is, look, it, it's not, I don't have the leads. Like I'm not feeding you. I'm not just giving you a fish every day. I'm going to teach you how to fish. I'm going to teach you where to fish. I'm going to teach you the right rod to use. I'm going to show you all the different kinds of bait. And we're going to put 10 rods in the water. And these should be biting. So that's what I need to teach you. I need to teach you how to do it, how to do it right. So you're never going to have to worry about where the leads come from. They'll come from your efforts. I love you highlighting again about the management experience at Pulte. I Sometimes I forget how how grateful I should be for what I got to learn from those home building companies back in 05. 06 and 07. You know, like I was a young cocky kid. I was a high performer and there were, and and I got paid really well, you know, until the market crashed and we got cut in half. But I remember always thinking like, you know, as you're inside someone else's business and you are on salary at different times, I was getting to learn so much about really the best in class management skills, the best in class way of, you know, of, of selling, of selling the widget and figuring out how to build the widgets. And it's like one of the most unique businesses around that just isn't the same right now. And, you know, I, I don't know if it'll ever be the way that it was in, you know, from 03 to 05, uh, because everything was a, how can you get it built for faster? Yeah. How can you adjust your Cheaper. prices? How can your customer service program be better? It was just the most competitive business that had every moving part from manufacturing to sales. And I think during the time, I, I sometimes I took what I was learning for granted. Cause I was always, you know, I couldn't wait till I was going to run my own company. There were times when I would like make a phone call that would save them $200,000. And I was thinking, where's my, you know, $20,000 <laughs> bonus. And it's like, that's your job to save us $200,000. Yep. Like that's how you keep your, that's why we didn't lay you that's off right. when we laid off 75 people. So there is, so sometimes for people out there too, you know, if some, there could be some people out there doing real estate, you know, part-time because they're working for somebody else or right now they're inside their real estate business and they're getting to learn a lot from people, but they're not quite hitting 
you know, that revenue source yet. I just, I, I guess I just want to recommunicate something you reminded me of. I took a lot of those lessons for granted and I wanted to get out of it faster and faster. But those years that I spent then absolutely like learning from the best of the best and feeling underpaid, but getting yep. to like, you know, People today like will say, I'll go work for that person for free. Well, that's a lie. Most people wouldn't. But if you get to go work for somebody really, really cool and you're getting to, you know, to learn and get paid to do it a, a good salary or a decent amount of commissions, like your life can change. And 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 I, I just like talking to you today and getting reminded of like you being at Pulte. Pulte was one of the best in class, me being in home building out there. We got an advantage and we had an advantage for what life was going to be like later, uh, especially as the market started to change. Yeah, have you okay. had any um, have you had any agents quit this year because the market got tougher and just said, I'm not going to be an agent anymore? Not really. Everyone is still licensed. Maybe people, I think I had maybe one or two say, I have to go get some additional work, but I want to keep this as my side hustle. And for me, you know, I, I know there's other companies, other brokerages out there and they're like, look, it's all about production. If you're not going to be full time and if you don't do this, I don't want you. And I look at, I got some people that do one deal a year and I got some people that do a hundred deals a year. So I look at it as it's better to just find the right people and be there for them. So the ones that had to go out and get a job, I didn't take that personally or be like, oh, now you're not contributing enough to my company. Like, you know, this is souring the relationship. I just said, well, what else can I do for you? Is there, a, do you want to go over some marketing stuff? Like, why do you think your business is suffering? You know, why do you feel like you have to go get another job? You know, uh, tell me, you know, I'll get deep with people. Tell me about your savings. Like, tell me about the income from your spouse. Like, tell me about your, your, your expenses from your children. And I'll literally get in there and just try and offer some advice um, to just say, you know what? Like, I've been there and, and here's what I did. Or like, I know other people have been there and here's what they did. So there's only been like one or two. But we're really a brokerage now where I didn't bring in my first brand new licensee in over two years until the beginning of this year. And he, he's a young guy, he's like 20 years old and his family owns a construction company. And he was like, I just want to learn this business from like the right people. And I'm like, look, man, I don't bring in new people. Like, unless you're going to be on a team, like it's just not the right brokerage for you because we have a full transaction team. We have sales meetings, we have mentoring, we have all this stuff that adds a lot of value, but it adds value to productive people, not necessarily New people, because I lost a ton of new people in my first five years. I'm like, this isn't this isn't my business model. Like, you know, bringing in all these brand new people and like crossing my fingers. That's not the model. I don't charge them a monthly fee. Our model is we want to bring in the right people who understand what we offer and are willing to be coached. They're willing to listen and they're willing to be patient. Like real estate is a tough, tough industry. I just told you before, one out of ten survive after five years. So most nine, almost 90% of people are going to fail. How do you become one of, of the 10? How do you become one of the 10%? You have to be patient. You have to build relationships. You have to look at this. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You got to go get part-time work, go get part-time work, but don't stop. Do whatever you got to do to add value to your network, to your relationships, whether you're doing 20 hours a week or 60 hours a week, it doesn't matter. It's just going to make your marathon longer, but it's still a marathon. So that's what I tell everyone. It's like, you got to be, if you think you're going to come in here in six months in a year and make like 50, 50 grand, a hundred grand, you're only going to do that. If you have like, you know, a rich mom, dad, uncle, grandparent, something like that, it's just feeding you business and you're just making money. Like 
even if you invest 10,000 a month in cold marketing, you're still not going to make that kind of money. It's too hard. It's too taxing. It takes too long. You don't know what you're doing. So I just let people know, hey, upfront, this is how it works. I'm your guide. I'm not your boss. I'm your guide. And hopefully I'll be your mentor. And I want to help you any which way I can get to where you're going in the amount of time that you're going. But I will set expectations for anyone. They're like, hey, I need to make money right away. It's like, th that's not how this works. So I'm just letting you know right now, like, let's do it together. I'll give you advice, but it's tough. Hey, real estate rock stars. We only have a few minutes left in this episode, but before we get to the grand finale, I just wanted to say, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You know, podcasts are obviously free. You don't have to pay to listen to the podcast, but if you could pay one thing, if I could charge you one thing to listen to this podcast, what I would ask you to do is go, please make a review. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on YouTube or on Apple or Android, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go give me a review of the podcast. I read them. I listen to them. I try to make adjustments. You know, a couple of years ago, I had a ton of bad reviews on the sound quality or the number of advertisements, things like that. And I've really tried to dial in to add value for all of you guys. So please, please, please go do a review. If you want to get a, a copy of the toolbox of the stuff that you know, everybody that comes on the show, they give us some tactics. They give us something that we put in what we call our toolbox. And so to get that, you go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com. When you get there, click on the, the toolbox and you get access to the free gift that every person that we interview on the episode provides. There's things like, you know, uh, listing tactics, how to do a presentation, you know, how to do a newsletter, all sorts of cool, fun stuff. And if you want to talk to me, go find me on Instagram at Aaron Amuchastegui. Ask me a question. I talked to so many of you guys on there. All right, back to the show. Thanks again for being a listener. Well, you know, so brokers and team leaders that are out there listening right now, like listen, one of the things that Tim said right there is he's really selective of the type of people that he brings on his team. He's tried new people. He's, he's tried all sorts of different versions of agents and decided this is the type of agent that is best for us. You know, some people, it's a, it's a numbers game and they go, hey, I'll just bring on whoever because whether they do one deal or 10, I still, you know, make some money out of it. But no, Tim is selective. These are the type of people that are going to succeed inside my business. These are the type of agents that I want to bring on. So being selective, I think, is an important part of building that big business or of having less of those conversations later of people wanting to leave or wanting to renegotiate. And then agents out there, it's the same thing. When you're thinking about choosing a team, or you're thinking about choosing a broker, I think you need to ask them like, what type of agent are you trying to find and make sure they have an answer, yep. right? If they say, we just want agents or we just want nice people, like <laughs> figuring out like, like who, what is their target? Ask them like, what is your ideal person that you're bringing on or who is your system built for? Like, you, you know, whatever lead system they have, it could be that they're, oh, our lead system is built for, you know, first time home buyer agents because those are the leads we invest in. Oh, our leads are built for people that want to be able to do open houses because we have tons of listings uh, right now, but we can't do all the open houses. So ask them, like, what type of agent is their business or their team set up for? Because if you can be really specific, because it's not about the numbers, it's not about the commissions, each one of you out there listening is going to have your own personality, your own way that you like to do business, your own type of product or like, you know, if you like door knocking or you hate door knocking, you know, that sort of, you know, those sorts of things, figure out what they're doing. You know, so the, my, my last question, Tim, um, is really just so right now the market is slow, slower, different, 
you know, it depends on how you're judging it. So in some places, medium price is still going up, you know, across the board, most of the places volume has been going down, um, or things are taking longer or depending on the neighborhood, you know, so I've got you know, a couple, you know, deals out in Austin and one of them, you know, we list and we list at a good price and we get a, you know, multiple offers opening weekend. And another one, you know, comps are at like $450,000. We come to market. Now we're a month in and we're down to like three ninety for a list price. Wow. And we've still only had one, one showing because it's, you know, there's too many, like for whatever reason, it's just the wrong price point. It's the wrong stuff. So we're seeing all sorts yep. of stuff. So there's discouragement and I'm hearing discouragement from people and I'm hearing the struggles of the slowdown. When your agents get discouraged, like you've got an army now, you've got an army of soldiers that are looking to you and you're like, I'm your guide, I'm your helper, I'm your mentor. When they say, hey, I'm getting discouraged, what's your, what's your speech? What's your hoorah? What do you tell them to get back on their feet? My speech is, is just, it's our core focus at Copper Hill. It's building genuine relationships. That's our core focus. It's very simple. It's easy to understand. That's what built my agent business. That's what built the brokerage. And that's what I teach day in, day out at, at my company is it's not about the deal. It's about the relationship. So what do you do in a down market? Instead of relying on you know partnering up with a mortgage partner and um, you know getting leads from Zillow every month and trying to reach out and trying to get deals, you should be partnering with your mortgage partner and having a client event. You should be inviting 20 of your top closest people. You should be feeding them. You should be giving them drinks. You should be having them walk out with a goodie bag or some good advice. I mean, we're, we're out of COVID now. It's like people want to go out. They want to live their lives. They want to shake hands. They want to feel special. They want experiences back. So give them those experiences. You know, you have to take care of your people. You know, write handwritten notes. Handwritten notes have a 99% open rate. One out of 100 will go into the trash. The other 99 at least get open. And even if they barely read it, it's got your logo on the front and you signed it in pen on the inside. And that means something. It means you care about them. Even if you had one sentence that says, happy summer, enjoy your summer, hope you have some great vacations. That's it. That's, it's not about what you say. It's about caring for people. Get on the phone. Hey, you do development and so do we. We're talking to people that we know, longstanding people in neighborhoods in Philadelphia. Hey, if any of the people looking to downsize are trying to sell, and you hear about that, you're out there watering your plants, and that you know Philadelphia is a city of row homes, so they're like five feet away from you. That you know, oh, I'm thinking about leaving. You get us there within a day, and we want to talk to them about buying their property now, not charging them any commission, getting it done in three weeks. I mean, beautifully restoring and rehabbing this home. And then once we're done, we're going to call them and say, we know you lived here for 50 years. We, we want to bring you back to this home and show you the work that we did so you can see that it went into good hands. And that is the power of relationships. It's you have to show people that you care, that you're going to, that they can trust you and that you deliver a lot of value. You're good at what you do. And if you can do those things, they're just going to be your biggest cheerleaders. They're going to be your biggest business builders. That neighbor who needed to sell their house privately is going to go tell five of their elderly friends what a great company and what great people we are. So we'll get two more opportunities out of that. So what I tell people to do in a down market, which is what I tell them to do in an up market, but there's more time now. So you can plan a better event. You can make more phone calls, warm calls, the calls that take 30, 45 minutes because you're just yeah. catching up with people. And you can write those handwritten notes and your hand is painful after you wrote 50 of them. But you know what? That means something and it goes somewhere. So that's what I tell people to do. Yeah. 
relationships can go a long way and relationships, even the extra just stuff you described, like being able to, you know, to buy the properties or having that, you know, treating, treating home inspectors good, even when they piss you off, you know, treating escrow people good, even like, like if you treat everybody good from your customers to your transactions, to the contractor, to the buyer's agent, like the, you know, building that relationship with everyone, you know, real estate is a long game. Life is a long game and it all comes back around. Tim, we've got hundreds of more things we could talk about, but the, but man, we've, uh, an hour has flown by. Not all of our wow. podcasts get to go this long, but you've just been full of so much stuff. There's going to be people wanting to reach out to you to come tour your brokerage, go see the way that you do things. Um, they want to send referrals your way. What's the best way that people can learn more about you, where they can find you, where they can follow along or communicate if they have questions? I say the two best places to just casually learn more about me or reach out to me. Um, I'm very uh, involved on Instagram. So real estate in PHL is my handle. Copper Hill RE is my company's handle. Um, or go to our website, copperhillre.com. You can see all of our agents. You can see my contact information. And you can see all the content that we've created, the blog, the neighborhood pages, the building pages, like all this stuff. We're a value-driven, relationship-based referral brokerage. And you can go learn a lot more about what I'm doing by visiting the website and visiting us on Instagram. Tim, congratulations on uh, on building such a giant business. Um, I love that you started in real estate, you know, mortgages back in 03, because 03 to 05 was like the craziest, <laughs> most booming time ever. And then, you know, 08 through like 2012 was the most challenging time ever. And so you got to see a little bit of everything. And as you've continued to see a couple cycles since then, you've just continued to grow. So thank you so much today for coming on the show and teaching our listeners so much. Thanks, Aaron. Much appreciated. And real estate rock stars. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>